0: Dinosaurs and man, two species separated by 65 million years of evolution, have just been suddenly thrown back into the mix together. How can we possibly have the slightest idea of what to expect? Yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and and screaming. Dr. Grant, my dear Dr. Sattler, welcome to Jurassic Park. Uh.
1: Welcome to best one since the next one, the podcast that dives deeper than an in-gen special forces team member being crushed into the ground by a T-Rex's giant foot into film and TV franchises and the fandoms they inspire. We're back with the next segment of our Jurassic Park series, a podcast series, 65 million and 29 years in the making. I'm not letting that catchphrase go. I like it a lot. Sorry if it's cringy, but it's good. Um, we're moving ahead with Jurassic Park or with the Lost World Jurassic Park, um, Heading towards the release of Jurassic Park Dominion, the supposed final movie in the Jurassic Saga. Um, I had some, some insider information on how that movie is going to go. And uh, we're like, uh, just go. It's all downhill from here. So we'll see. <laughs> but um, yeah, today we're talking about the Lost World Jurassic Park. Um, in our previous episode, I I, I had an aside about... Um, Big banner fans out there, uh, just as a one-off, <laughs> dumb joke, uh, and it turns out our our guest for today is one of those b- big banner heads. Uh, it's Doug yep. Dorda. He's he's back. I'm back, folks.
0: Something has survived.
1: <laughs> something has survived. I want to talk about that that slogan specifically when we get to like the, the marketing part of it. But uh, something has survived, and
0: it's you. You're back. How are you doing, dude? I'm so glad to be back. I'm I'm great. You know why? Because I'm recording this podcast with you. And, uh, yeah, I've been waiting 65 million and 29 years for
1: this. (laughs) That's what it's referring to. Exactly. This is this moment. Um, yeah, Doug has Doug, uh, before the record sent me a text of an image of the, uh, when dinosaurs ruled the earth banner in his, in your basement, is that your basement or is that your,
0: is that your family room? Is that, no, it's, uh, (laughs) well, I, I, my wife you know, is, is incredible and that she lets me have all this stuff, but it has to be in a specific place. So the basement is where my, uh, my fandom rules, but it's, it's, you know, it's not egregious with the exception of that banner. Um,
1: I turns think out you can old buy
0: old. anything on Amazon, you know, <laughs> and years yeah. and years ago, uh, before Amazon was as bad as they are now, I'm not saying that they were, you know, ever particularly yeah, yeah. amazing, but I just you like, a... you,
1: you liked Amazon's older stuff
0: better. <laughs> yeah. 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 Man. They used to slap back in the garage <laughs> days. <laughs> and uh i i just drunkenly one night did a search was like jurassic park banner and yeah the thing's like 15 (laughs) feet long and uh like five inches wide it's it's wild and yeah it it takes up an entire space on my wall down in the basement sits above a uh it looks like island nublar but it's actually um iceland sits above a poster (laughs) of iceland
1: if if people wouldn't know the difference if you didn't tell them i bet they really would have no that's that's the island um well uh since the last time we spoke, um, you have started your own podcast. Uh, it's called "My Dad, I'm Dad," and um, you want to tell the tell the people what uh, what it's all about and how to find it.
0: Yeah, uh, so the the podcast, and I, I first off, I want to say that I started it largely because of you, John. You oh, inspired shucks. me uh, by having me on with you with the podcast series that we did, uh, beginning with Boba Fett. And it, it just, it was so much fun and it immediately struck a chord in my mind about a catharsis that I could, you know, dip into, uh, related to the birth of my daughter and the death of my father, which occurred simultaneously. So I had to find a way to try to make sense of all the things going on in my head. And it ended up becoming this podcast, which is kind of like a long form audiobook. It's, it's a little difficult to describe, but basically if you've ever been somebody who's loved and lost Uh, If you like movies, if you like things from the 90s, if you like to laugh, if you like to cry, all of that stuff is condensed into about 15-minute episodes that I release weekly. Uh, And roughly, I tell a story about my dad that coincides with a developmental leap in my daughter, and I just try to um, make sure that a story about her grandfather, who she unfortunately won't get to meet, will be kept fresh in my mind. So that when she gets a little bit older, she can learn from these things, and you, the audience, might be able to benefit from them by laughing or crying somewhere in the middle. There,
1: um, yeah, it's and it, it's really well done. It's it's extremely earnest. It's kind of got like a um, like a a prayer Prairie Home Companion vibe, like narration vibe to it. But it's it's a style all Doug's own. Um, so yeah, you can find that on you know Spotify. I assume you're on Apple Podcasts.
0: Yep, all um, the whole nine yards.
1: Every every everywhere you find your podcasts, for real. Um, yeah, give it a listen. It's, it's, um, like just like 15 minute episodes and they, they're, they're great. He does a great job with it. So, um, yeah. And Doug, we have you back on because you have, uh, quite a close relationship to Jurassic park. You also showed me in that same text chain, your, your Spielberg arm, is it a, your yeah. arm sleeve? Um, and, uh, a, a, specific relic from your past involving Jurassic park. Do you want to Go into a little bit about, about what the the movie and the series of Jurassic Park means to you, at least these first two, um, and why why do you think that Jurassic Park is such an enduring and beloved franchise, or at least you know initial movie for people.
0: You know, I think. Well, I'll I'll start at the beginning there. Uh, Jurassic Park exists as a as a perfect totem to memories of my father that will always exist. Uh, so we saw it together in the theater when I was young. But we watched it constantly at home. My dad was a huge proponent of surround sound and making sure (laughs) that he had the biggest and baddest, loudest, thumping speakers out there. I have since continued the tradition here in my own home, but, you know, it's less about it being loud and more about it being a really immersive experience. Uh, But ever since that movie has come out, anytime I get a new television, anytime I get a new speaker, anytime I get a new computer... The first thing that I will do to test out the audio, or if I'm sitting in a car even, is play the Tyrannosaurus Rex scene from (laughs) Jurassic Park. And if it does well by that, it's okay. Uh, It's an enduring part of my youth. It's part of the reason that I love science. It's part of the reason that I love to read. Because I went ahead and decided that I was going to read Jurassic Park, the book, which got me into Lost World, the book, which got me into the Michael Crichton world, which got me into Michael Crichton's influences and yada, 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 so on and so forth you guys talked at great length in the first episode about the magic of the movie. And yeah, all of that is there. And and you covered that so well. What I really wanted to add to that conversation, if anything, was that it, it inspires me constantly mm-hmm. to be curious, to learn, to look into things, uh, to question it from a different perspective. I think what this franchise is, set up so well in the first movie continues a little bit here and then you know it kind of tapers off a little bit by the time the franchise gets to mostly just dinosaurs chasing people yeah the
1: the trailer kind of falls off the cliff as it were (laughs) yeah
0: uh it's attacking things from a different viewpoint you know what what is so cool about this franchise is that you want dinosaurs to be real so bad as an audience member it's Mm -hmm. the only thing in the world you could want And then you watch in these first two movies specifically as what occurs when dinosaurs do become real absolutely decimates any human who is in the vicinity of those things that does not respect them. And that's what is so cool. So when you're a child, you start to understand like, oh, man, I want that thing. But maybe there's a downside. And when you're an adult, you're like, all right, Mm -hmm. in order to achieve, we must first think. And that, I think, is the most enduring hallmark in my own life. Right. Actions have consequences.
1: Um, uh, And I think that if not consequences, um, you know, things might not be exactly as they seem. Don't meet your heroes, that kind of aspect. But not that anybody's hero is a dinosaur. Maybe they are. I don't know. Um, Uh, Well said, though. um, You know, and Jenny kind of pointed out, apart from the first movie that I think spoke to that really well, really subtly, the part where the robot arm grabs the egg um, away from Grant. And it's, she pointed that out and I was like, Oh yeah, I never really thought of it like that before. Like there's all these little touches throughout that, like the natural world and genetic power are stronger than humans will to contain it. So it it is that plus the fact you're saying, looking at things from different angles, this movie specifically is a really good example of that. Even the production of it and the creation of the lost world, Jurassic park, um, we'll get more into it later, but like even that is taking a different look at the source material and saying like, let's look at it from a different way and problem solve what would be entertaining on the screen, as opposed to what works in a, the book versus what people want to see from the movie. Um, so not only from a scientific level, but also from a level of craftsmanship of creativity um, that curiosity is, uh, is evident in, um, for most of The Lost World, I, I, th- I think you're probably way, way hotter on The Lost World than I am. And I, f- I was like, I, I feel so bad that I'm going to be a little bit negative towards The Lost World because I know Doug loves it so much. Oh, no, 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 um, no, 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 no. But we're going to get to so a little I'm so glad that you would be ahead. that way.
0: All right. So the, the next thing that we plan on talking about was thoughts on The Lost World as a sequel. I think this is one of those rare Hollywood sequels, much like Aliens and much like Terminator 2, that tries to take what you expect from the first film and flip it on its head and turn it into a, not necessarily a different genre in this case, uh, but into a different movie, and kind of play with your own conventions. And this is two-thirds of an amazing sequel. (laughs) And then a third, the worst sequel ever made. And wrapped Um... in there are some terrible character decisions, while also (laughs) introducing some of the most unbelievably interesting characters in this franchise that unfortunately don't even get another shot. (laughs)
1: <laughs> they don't make it all the way through. Um, should we talk about which third that is now, or should we hold it?
0: Oh, I will. I will. No, I'll go ahead and spoil it. The last go third of it. this movie can pff, dumpster okay. fire get that okay. shit right out of there.
1: Maybe we're not as uh, misaligned as I thought we are, because this is one of those movies that, like, I used to do a podcast before this short-lived called Love and Projection, where we would go through and reassess movies that either had a bad rap um, or were, you know, overrated in some way and reassess them in a current, the current world for what they are based on like what's out now. And the lost world was on the list because in my head I was a, a, a strict lost world defender. I was like, it's, it's awesome. Every bit of it. And then a T-Rex attacks San Diego. How could it get better than that? And then I watched it again for this and I was holding off until now Uh and I watched it again and I was like, oh, okay. There's a lot that's better than this actually. <laughs> like, yeah. cause you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Like the, the beginning is a little, uh, the, the beginning's not nearly as exciting as in enthralling as the beginning of the original Jurassic park, but it's still like, it gets into the it gets you to the Island as fast as it can. Right. And then I read a review of it from the, t- when it came out, that was like, you know, Steven Spielberg's this is paraphrasing obviously, but like Steven Spielberg, is like the kid in the audience that's like, I just want to get to the island. And then once you get there, it's like, it's electric. You know, everything that's happening is amazing. The dinosaurs have never looked better. Um, And there's more of them. And they're bigger and they're faster and they're crazier. And there's bigger bigger action set pieces happening. There's, you know, Jeeps and motorcycles driving underneath dinosaurs. Amazing. You've never seen anything like it. Uh, And then you're going and you're going and you're going. And then the thing that should be really cool which is a T-Rex unleashed in a city is so goofy and so heavy handed and, and like Spielberg can get a little crazy. Spielberg can get a little ahead of himself and um, do a little too much sometimes. Uh, Obviously we, we both love him. You have a whole sleeve of your arm dedicated to his movies, but like (laughs) when he, when, when he doesn't have uh, a, a restrictor, a restrictor plate on, you know, he, he, he can get a little crazy with it. and, the tone of that part should be terror, right? It should be pure terror. That there's a living dinosaur in the downtown of a major metropolitan area wreaking havoc, but it's like kind of played for
0: laughs. It's like, oh goofy. my god! Thank you for um, saying it. It's so terrible. It's and, awful it, and like kind of racist at one point. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, the, the Godzilla riff, yeah. And, and then it's the, like it's the, it's
1: like just towing the line of being a little racist. The kid um, and that's
0: like, like, there's a dinosaur in my bedroom, and it like. <sighs> That's that's something that I want to get to a little bit later on. I promise I won't get into sure. it too much now, but one of the major failings of this film, and the reason that I say, even though that last third of the movie isn't necessarily like a full third in length, sure. uh, part of that is, the, is the, the poorly drawn characters, right? Right. And your, your way in as a child, if you watch this movie as a child, is terrible. And we'll get to that a little bit later on. But one of the children that should just be like looking at this stuff in awe, Literally just looks at it deadpan and is like, there's a dinosaur in my room. There's a exactly. dinosaur in my
1: room. That's exactly right. And like, if I, if that was me, you know, it's like the the terror of the situation is not real. Because this is a toy that you play with or a book that you read every night. All of a sudden in your window. And it maybe, yeah, it ate your dog. So maybe you should be a little scary. A little, bit, a little bit more scared of it. But I don't know. Maybe it's a little commentary on how jaded kids are. <laughs> but i don't think so i don't but think then there's they, that they much down on this. that
0: in the jurassic world franchise they do they do the whole like oh dinosaurs wow it needs more teeth it's like come on man let's get to what this franchise is really about which is what we talked about earlier it's about questioning things it's about wondering whether or not that thing you want so bad is actually worth it and john hammond has that incredible speech in the first movie where he's sitting talking with, with Ellie Sattler and he's talking about his flea circus and he does the whole, you know, with this place, I wanted it to be real. And she mm-hmm. hits him with that. It's still an illusion. It's always right. been an illusion. And Oof. as an adult watching that part of the movie, you're like, Oh my God, this old man, I want him to have his dream. Oh my God, this scientist knows what she's talking about. And you sit at this crossroads of like, I, I desperately want it to be real. I desperately want these people to be safe. I wish this hadn't happened because dinosaurs existing in my mind is safe and they're always there. But when you put them here, all of a sudden it becomes a problem. So this film does a great job of of exploring some of the sides of that, but my god, that like turning it into dinosaurs running amok among people, it it somehow like pulled the rug out from the magic.
1: Yeah, and and, it, and it, you can see you can really see the seams of the movie making in it. Um, and that's, that's what is always so amazing about Jurassic park. And then like you said, like the first two, the first two acts of the lost world is you're watching it and yeah, maybe some of the lines are a little heavy handed and a little like wink, wink about the original versus the sequel, but you get into so much more of that aspect of it. Um, the the side of like, well, we're still going for this and you know what the thing that didn't work out for us before what if we did it my way instead? And it's not about being responsible scientifically. It's about like the the human greed behind it that can still perpetuate it and the ego of one guy that just wanted to make bring wonder to people's lives. But then you get his nephew, Ludlow, that is thinking about like, you know what? You know what's going to save us from that dinosaur disaster is more dinosaurs. And it's just like human hubris and then like like capitalism taking over. And that's what it does
0: so well. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah, then, it does and, so well. And I
1: love, I love Malcolm, like the rat-a-tat with him. And I'm, it's Ludlow, right? I'm I, yeah. You know this yeah, movie yeah. way Better than I do. The, um, the pissant little he, nephew. When he first gets, he first gets there and there's that, all that expository dialogue between Malcolm and Ludlow. Um, and they're just like, really, you can tell that they have history, but it's like a two minute scene and it really sets up what's going on in the four years since the first movie. So well, um, and and in just such a great like screenwriting way of just like, here's everything you need to know, but it's an argument and it's still an engaging scene. Um, but just that little snot-nosed freak Ludlow who just like won't let it go and like gets to the island and still thinks he's part of it. You know, still thinks that he's as good as the like the the big game hunter he's with, or he can do it better than his uncle because he's got a
0: better plan. Um, and that that and how- fucking line that he hits you with, which is so good. Careful this suit cost more than your education like yeah oh.
1: you little fucker you oh. son of a bitch um yeah spielberg's good at drawing um like shithead characters like that he's really good at it so i mean oh. i guess david david co is the guy that's um responsible for that but you know it's just the combination of the two of them just creates amazing characters but yeah i'm i'm uh i'm a little more um uh at ease now knowing that i'm not just gonna shit all shit all over your uh your, your favorite movie. I'm not going <laughs> to no, yuck, no, no, yuck, no, no, no. yuck your yuck your yum as it were, you know, I hate that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's um, a little discussion so far in the lost world, but without further ado, hold on to your butts because we're heading to the high, high to get a clear signal for our satellite phone. So we can broadcast all you need to know about the lost world. Jurassic park. Obviously the success of the first film forced Michael Crichton into writing a second book uh, and the sequels production schedule was based entirely on the re- release of that novel, but it was kind of like a George R. R. Martin situation in miniature where Crichton had no um, idea when he was going to finish it or what he wanted to do with it, or even if he wanted to do one. So they were kind of just like Spielberg and David Coop um, were kind of batting ideas around at the same time, but eventually obviously as uh, fate would have it, the lost world, uh, novel was released in 1995, and at the same time Spielberg was attached to helm the movie adaptation. Um, like we were saying, David Coop received, in terms of you know framing the movie, David Coop received letters of advice from children who demanded, as long as you have the T-Rex and the Velociraptor, everything else is fine. But whatever you do, don't have a long, boring part at the beginning that has nothing to do with the island. Uh, so he kind of kept that letter around as he was writing the screenplay as a reminder to keep things moving. And like I was saying, like they get to the island like fast. Oh, they like, do it so quick. And it's so cool how they do it, too. We can talk about that when we get more to the um, uh, the actual plot of the movie. But the the choice they make, it, it's like 10 percent cheesy and 90 percent cool. And I think that's the Spielberg uh, Spielberg like golden ratio is like yeah, it, a, it actually a ends little up corny. Being...
0: Yeah. Like way more efficient than the way they do it in the book. Ultimately, totally. I like the book, The Lost World much more than the movie. Uh is a is a whole piece. Um but I like the movie more for its action set pieces. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I could digress for a very long time on that, but one of the <laughs> things that it does super well is just be like bam bam. You you were saying in the first movie that like fast food versus fine dining. Yeah. And in this one they were just like hold on to your butts motherfuckers. Cause we are getting yeah. to that Island quick. Yeah. And, in speaking of the book, he,
1: um, he's basically scrapped everything from the book, except for the basic premise and the setup of it, of the plot, you know, the actual, there's a second Island. This is where they bred the dinosaurs. This is where, and then they airlifted them over to Jurassic park um, basically got rid of that and then kept the, the trailer, the RVs attack scene. Uh, and essentially, I mean, like we were just saying like the high hide things like that were retained some of the characters some of the characters were made into composite characters some things were borrowed from jurassic park the novel that didn't make it into the movie and put into this like the compies um eating uh, not eating the little girl
0: but hurting the little girl at the beginning um yeah they they do that with each of the movies which is one thing that like every time they make a new one of these especially with the jurassic worlds i'm like i'll just go i'll go because I know there's going to be one scene that was in the books that hasn't been put on the screen yet. And I'll be like, yay for at that, least that part. That hesitant
1: I'll go is how I feel about uh dominion, by the way. When I'm like, I guess I'll go
0: and see I was it. so excited. And then the newest trailer dropped and I was like, Oh, why?
1: why? Yeah. I didn't watch it. Cause I've, I've heard that it like it cause they've, they've leaned into so much of what they want you to think it's about. And then I think they were like, Let's just put the last trailer out and then people can kind of mentally prepare themselves, but that's, (laughs) that's, that's for a different podcast, but
0: they're all fine films. They're all fine films. It's just, if you're going to weigh these in proportion to the original Jurassic park, you got a tough battle ahead.
1: Yeah. Everything else in last world is either, uh, either inspired by, uh, the movie Hatari, which is about, you know, the capturing of uh, African animals for a zoo or the original, the original like lost, lost world movie sir arthur conan doyle's lost world um kind of based on that with like um pred- like uh carnivores versus herbivores like just this kind of you know uh hunter versus prey uh you know hunter versus pres- uh, preservationist kind of mentality um you know so and like we were saying they had bits and pieces from the original made its way into there, like th- the waterfall scene where the paleontologist gets pulled through the waterfall and then blood trickles down um that's all pulled from the original novel um and then you know the san diego attack was decided on last minute in the script um they were like "Eh, is it too crazy should we not do it should we do it and then spielberg just got full spielberg and was like it's just too fun not to do it so we're gonna do it um And he wanted to reference things like The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, Corgo, and Godzilla, which he does, like we were saying, to an almost racist effect. So (laughs) it's it's not funny, but it's also like, dude, what's going on? Uh, Yeah, so in terms of shooting the movie, shot mostly in Fern Canyon in Northern California after New Zealand uh, was dubbed too expensive and Costa Rica was too rainy, surprisingly, for a movie that's like 90% rain and uh, on sound stages at Universal Studios Hollywood. Uh, The RV scene was shot and using a 95 ton crane to dangle the RVs over the edge of a man-made wall on the lot of universal studios. Um, And they used an autoerotic. No, I'm sorry. An animatronic T-Rex torso to slam (laughs) into the side of the the RV. So it actually like fully dented the sides of it. Um, It wasn't CG at all. They actually had Stan Winston working his magic once again. um, Dude, you can tell. So yeah, totally
0: clearly in that scene, especially in the one where it's that you're looking at the front of the RV. Uh, I mean, it's such a quick moment of the film, but you see both of the T-Rexes smashing in that front window? Uh-huh. But you are like, that really happened. And even None the of angle, that is CG. And even it, the
1: angle they're at as they're ramming is very much like a, uh, 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 animatronic real tangible thing. It's like, it's hard to explain in, in a, in a, in a, uh, audio format but their their backs are straightened out to the point where it's definitely someone like arching it that way and ramming it um but you can absolutely tell and it's worth it's worth those million dollar um, animatronic dinosaurs oh, to make that happen it, incredible. That,
0: scene, that,
1: that scene is sick and we'll get to when we get to it i think we'll talk about it a lot but uh that part uh, yeah all the damage not cg like we we're saying um the downtown san diego scenes mostly shot in burbank california and uh behind barricades for secrecy's sake. They don't just do that for Star Wars and Marvel movies now. That's been a thing for a bit where they just want to hide what's going on, even though uh I don't know if a bus having random like explosions on the side of it would give away what was really going on. <laughs> you would be like, This is Jurassic Park. Um uh and then uh they built an empty blockbuster video set on a vacant lot so that the T Rex and the bus could crash through it, so the bus could crash through it. Um, I was wondering if that was, like, kind of prescient about the extinction of Blockbuster videos, if there was, like, some tie to, like, the home video market. But then I was like, I'm probably overthinking this. So.
0: Yeah, it, you know, I would love to think that type of stuff. And, and that's that's the benefit of looking back on it now. But it is one of those, like, no, they that was the mecca of the time. So you right. were destroying the very thing that was predicated, that Jurassic Park's predicated success was predicated upon totally. which people re-watching and re-watching and re-watching like what if an actual dinosaur demolished the thing you loved well
1: um and what like what is like the tsunami kid is one of the standees in there or something like <laughs> yeah, that <That's>, like, <laughs> all these like made up movies for it i should i should have had a list of all of them because they, they made me they made me laugh
0: this is a uh, total tangent uh but my favorite moment in any you know video rental store ever in a movie is in The Last Action Hero, which is a very unsung Schwarzenegger flick. I feel like it was just made way before its time uh, because it's so smart and so clever and so tongue-in-cheek about all of Schwarzenegger's film tropes. Mm-hmm. But when meta they walk meta. in... Yeah, very, very meta. And when they walk in, you see Stallone on the marquee for Terminator 2. Totally. It's so Love it's it.
1: genius. It's, it's perfect. Um, and it's not as much of a tangent as you'd think because the last Action hero came out in 93, June 13th, 1993, around the same time that the original Jurassic park came out. So it was like CG dinosaur fest or big Arnold action movie. And last action hero failed. Jurassic park destroyed every record ever. And that was kind of like the, the end of, he was the last action hero at that point, kind of. Yeah. Um, So it, you know, it all kind of ties together in one big movie hug. Um, So yeah, like as is made obvious by even the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes of this movie, but more, bigger, better was the crew's philosophy. Uh, Sam Winston's animatronics, like I was saying, they cost over a million dollars a piece. Uh, Michael Lantieri, the special effects supervisor, said that the the T-Rex they were using could pull two Gs of force when it was moving, like left to right. And if you hit someone with that, you'd kill them. So in a sense... We did treat the dinosaurs as living, dangerous creatures, but that's fucking crazy.
0: Again, you can see it, man. You can can, see it.
1: You can see it in every aspect of it, and it's. um, There's one shot that we'll talk to when I get get to it if I remember about um, where I think it's probably CG, but I think maybe some of the movement was of the T Rex was based off of it. But man, you can see every penny of that on screen, and it's so worth it because once again, these are real dinosaurs. You know what I mean? These are like these are not CG and animatronic creations to me my my mind cannot tell the difference yeah this this is no indominus rex
0: you know this is something that is largely based on and and improves upon the type of aesthetic you've seen since you were a kid and associated with dinosaurs and then there they are living and breathing and then you get to see not only one of them but two of them and they're coming after their child and the stakes are raised in like the most empathetic way possible for you to looking at these animals and all of that is just heart pumping. And I don't want to say it's as good as the original scene in the, in the first movie, but it's damn close and it might be as good. I, I don't, I love to watch it as much as I do that first one, but my like you can't, you can't breathe when you're watching that scene. Mm. It's, it's,
1: uh it's almost tension wise. There's the same rhythm to it. It's like a cover it's like a cover version of um of the drastic of the of the T-Rex escape scene from the original one where it's like the notes are pretty similar but the the people are, they're they're playing it differently and it's like well like again we'll talk about it more but it's like yeah, I was yeah, I was watching it rewatching it I was like man this rips
0: it's so good. It's like Johnny Cash covering Hurt. Yeah, know?
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Um so yeah, largely at this point um the, there's a lot that can happen with CG in four years. Um, the the dinosaurs, you know, were you know pretty roughly 50, 50 CG and um, animatronic or puppet or puppets in the first film. Um, this one, they the skills tipped a little bit more towards CG um, with seventy five effect shots compared to Jurassic Park Park sixty three. Um, Spielberg noted that the artistry of the created the artistry of the creative computer people had advanced. Um, he said, "There's better detail, much better lighting." better muscle tone and movement in the animals. When a dinosaur transfers weight from his left side to his right, the whole movement of fat and sinew is smoother, more physiologically correct. And uh, all the dinosaurs use server, servo controls for their facial movements. So uh, it's a combination of those two things at the same time, like animatronics and CG, but he's absolutely right. You can, that's what's just always stuck out to me is you can see. Um, this is the part I was going to talk about when they first, are um, when the, everyone wakes up and screams on the trail after the T-Rex has been in Sarah's tent and it comes around the corner and everyone's like getting up and running down the corridor. And when they, right before the guy gets smushed, you know? Oh yeah. When it's coming around the corner, my, I feel like my body reacts to it. Like it's a threat. Like I'm like, my body's like fight or flight. Cause it's so real in that moment. And it's like coming around a corner shadowed by, you know, got shadows of the jungle and everything on it. And it just looks so imposing and threatening at that point. And it's like in full hunter mode. And I'm just so I'm so impressed where that's where like I try to focus and be like, what can I see that's fake on it? And there's nothing. It just looks it's just like there's a dinosaur chasing these people and it still still feels that way, even all these years later. So that's that specific shot of, of the T Rex coming around the corner is always mind blowing to me. That
0: whole sequence is just mind-bendingly wonderful. It's so good. That it just is like you know when you when you see the so more bigger better, you know, you see the tyrannosaurus shadow uh, on the on the canvas of the tent and then you see it poking its head into the tent and like the thing that this movie does so incredibly well and what they use the animatronics for so beautifully in this movie is showing you that these are just animals. You know, totally. uh, like, the, the whole scientific discussion is what I feel like that these, these movies really, really needed to lean into, but not on the way that they're doing now, which is the, like, hybridization, and we're making these crazy things, and we can monetize on this. I don't get it. I don't but get why they the, that, but... like, we made animals, and these are wild animals, and they do their thing, and I love that there are characters who can, like, when Sarah Harding wakes up and she immediately knows, like, oh, shit, I should have buried that jacket because it's got blood on it. Oh no! These snacks are gonna get it, and then it just becomes a bear incursion, but with tyrannosaurs.
1: And it's and and what I really appreciate about that too is the switch from practical to CG is like when it's a human to human when it's like a hu, on a human level, like when she gives the um, the T Rex baby out back out of the RV door, or when the T Rex is in her physical space of the tent it's like you want to be able to believe that like there is like f- four inches of space between its snout and her face for that tension and it's like if you don't believe that that's real inside the tent that scene doesn't work at all but it's like it's white knuckle even watching it Ugh. at home without a sound bar or anything like that where it's like Ooh, and then uh, then uh kelly her daughter uh, the the kelly wakes up and then it's, it acts like a kid would where it's like she can com- compose herself because she's an uh, adult who's still frightened. But the kid's like, this is fucked up. I don't like this at all. Yeah, yeah just that, um,
0: like none oh of that.
1: No. None of that works if that dinosaur is not real uh, in the tent. So I think that that's that's a big a big advantage of, of doing it this way as well. So
0: it's brilliant, man. It's just absolute brilliant.
1: Yeah, and the film release. So the film released um, on Memorial Day weekend of 1997 to the tune of 70, $72.1 dollars, um, like twenty million more than that, with like a preview night and then actually counting Memorial Day. Um, it's the first film ever to reach seventy million dollars on its opening weekend, and it became the biggest May opening of all time until the Tobey Maguire Spider Man swooped in and took that title five years later. Um, <clears throat> Budget of $73 million, $10 $10 million more than Jurassic Park. Uh, Seems crazy that it was only that much more because it seems like a lot more went into this movie. Um, But, you know, then again, everything kind of improved and things were probably a little bit cheaper to do then, too. Um, Box office total, roughly $618 million. Rotten Tomatoes score, 53% from the critics, 51% from the audience, which surprises me lower, lower for the audience. And then a Metacritic score of 59%, which is like the rare, like higher Metacritic score than Rotten Tomatoes. But again, <laughs> kind of all meaningless because it's just all an aggregate. But um, I, I think it should be a little higher than that. But it's also like, you know, Jurassic Park one to me is like 100% across the board. But this one is like, like a C. I think it's like a 75. I have a theory, whatever that means.
0: I think, I think the, the main, not necessarily failing of the movie, but what the movie did was that it's, it's a sequel that directly ties, you know, Jurassic park uh, characters to the original thing. I think if you had taken out Jeff Goldblum from this movie, if Ian Malcolm wasn't a part of this movie and uh, Hammond wasn't a part of this movie, it probably would be sitting at that like 75% mark. The fact that you have ties to that first film um, with with direct characters, I feel like, is what really damages it.
1: Yes, and I also think you know Spielberg is. I was reading some like notes from him, and and something that I was thinking about. Then I read it, I was like, oh, okay. Then I guess I'm right. Is that like he said he really regrets making it a movie about people knowing they were going to an island that had dinosaurs on it? Exactly. Uh, and I, and I was like, oh, from right from his mouth, you know what I mean? Like his, his regret. Um, and he was also saying something about uh, how his sequels are never as good as his originals, which I, I beg to differ with. Um, but because he goes, he, he's directly quoted himself and said, like, he goes in like all cocksure and confident to the second one. Like I just made a gazillion dollars on Jurassic Park. And then he says, like, I'm like too confident in the second one. So I don't concentrate as much as on on what, what makes a movie work. It's more like what I want to do with it. And so I think there was too much, like, I don't want to say too much freedom because Steven Spielberg, he can do whatever he wants to, but like, he just was a little too cocky and confident with what would work and went a little too over the top with it. Where the original one's success is its restraint. Um, but you know, also some of the best points in this movie are when it goes way over the top, wild. Yeah, like yeah. You know, so there's uh there's you know nothing you can be nothing can be done about it now. But I also think that like those things that he's saying make sense. Like this, especially the point about characters
0: knowing that they're going into a dinosaur infested place. That's like half the battle right there. You know, but that's also part of what makes this movie work. Is it you know when when you're. Uh, the specialist team from InGen gets there. These people know that dinosaurs are going to be there, but they approach it from the lens of we are going to strip mine this place. We want right. to take these animals out of here. We know that they're here. We are, you know, we sat on the investment board when the original park was being made. And all of that stuff sings. You know, it all looks great because one of my favorite characters is Roland Tenbo. Because he's basically the, you know, they even call him later on in the movie Ahab, but I think of him more like a spiritual successor to Quint, you know, another character that sure. Steven Spielberg brought to the to the screen. But there's the problem is that there was very little awe in the eyes of anybody on that island. Yeah. Nobody approached this movie with awe. And yeah. the the kid perspective is also entirely awash, you know? So if you were a child that went to see this movie. After having seen the first movie, all of a sudden you're watching a movie that's made from an adult perspective as a rumination about the planet and how we treat animals living on the planet. Less about, well, here's an intro to you loving the planet through the lens of something you wish was here.
1: Great, great point. Well said. I, I, uh, I completely agree. Um, <clears throat> sorry, my throat's drying up. <clears> throat> all right. Yeah, and speaking of bringing them back, uh, Jeff Goldblum, obviously back again, is Dr. Ian Malcolm. This time joining the cast is Julianne Moore as Dr. Sarah Harding. Uh, Arl- Arliss, How- Arliss Howard is that little shit. Peter Ludlow, uh, Hammond's nephew. Uh, Peter Possilwaite as Doug's guy, Roland Tembo. A little note about Roland Tembo and uh, Vince Vaughn's character, Nick Van Owen. Yeah, Both of those characters were not in the book, I believe. So Spielberg Kind of named them after the uh, the Warren Zevon song, Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner, Roland being the titular character of that song. And then Nick Van Owen or Van Owen in the song itself being the guy that blew Roland's head off. Um, you know, Ro- Nick is the guy in the movie that takes the uh, ammunition out of his rifle, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a little, little, oh, play. you're breaking
0: our hearts. Saddle up.
1: <laughs> oh, you've seen this movie before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, th- I thought that was a good little little tidbit anytime yeah i I had no
0: idea about that that's awesome
1: anytime i can mention warren zivon in a podcast i'm going to do it from now on so um vanessa lee chester as kelly curtis uh ian malcolm's daughter (laughs) doug i don't think this is a very successful child actor performance no um she's okay she's okay um
0: i wouldn't quite consider that a hot take john
1: yeah it's 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 tough um especially with like the the multiracial family aspect of it and things like that where it's like you want her to be good because you want it to be like a a, a, a leading performance for um, representation in film, but it's just like it's not working um, And I feel bad because it's like a composite character once again. Um, there's a lot of behind the scenes kerfuffle too with uh, the screenwriter and like Spielberg about how to explain the um, like the multicultural blended family aspect of it. and then they were like, we probably just shouldn't explain it cause it's too complicated and, and we just want to put her in there anyways. Um, you know, Spielberg has two adopted, um, two adopted, uh, children that are black as well. So it's like, uh, he just wanted to have that, uh, representation on screen and that's great. But I just, this is just like, especially coming off, uh, Tim and Lex in Jurassic park. It's just not, it's not working.
0: Yeah. Whoa. Woe, uh, woe be any child walking into a Jurassic park or Jurassic world film after those two.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's not any fault of her own. She's a, she's a child for God's sake, but like... You know what? I'll tell uh, you
0: this. I prefer her performance in this movie over the two kids in Jurassic World. I'd take her any day. Those kids,
1: I I wanted those kids to get eaten in the first like 20 minutes of that movie. I was like, these kids suck. Get them out of here. That's such a better movie. Tim and Lex kind of blew it for child actors after uh, the first Jurassic Park. But sorry, Kelly Curtis. I'm sure you're doing great things now, uh, but... Not, yeah, you not know what? Happening. You
0: did your best and you really <laughs> sold it when you did your gymnastics later on. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I don't want to, I'm sorry. I don't want to spend that much time bagging on a child performance, but um, yeah, like I said, Vince Vaughn is Nick van Owen. Got it. Anytime you can, you got to mention Robert, Richard Schiff because Richard Schiff is the man uh, as Eddie Carr.
0: Uh, he rest in peace, but man, he, again, the, this is one of those weird movies that you kind of have to watch as a kid and as an adult to really appreciate fully but Richard Schiff was one I didn't appreciate a lot as a kid and now in the movie he and he Peter Postlewaite and Julianne Moore are like tied for my top 3 in this movie. Oh yeah. Just
1: Richard Schiff rules in this movie. He's great. He's he's the he's the Genaro type character that you just kind of tune out in the, in this movie when you're a kid cuz you're like oh boring adult guy that's not saying funny stuff. Um and then but then you baby watch it, it as Come adult. on, you
0: got a baby. A baby at a little
1: yeah, yeah, I guess I guess he's saying some funny stuff. But um yeah, like him coming in to save the day and like the airbag going off, good bit, and then he gets torn apart by two T Rexes. Um, but also shout out to the West Wing. Um Peter and then Peter Stormare, the uh stalwart Cohen Brothers collaborator as Dieter Stark, uh zapping a compy with a uh cattle prod and getting his just desserts for doing that later on while he's taking a piss. Yeah. Always a reliable uh, asshole, you know. I don't know <laughs> if I just, like him
0: in this or Armageddon more. Oh yeah, it's, obviously it's, it's in the Coen up. Brothers like in a Coen Brothers flick, he's great, right? But like right. he gets to kind of have a little bit more fun here, and definitely in Armageddon. But just like American parts, Chinese parts, oh made in <laughs> Um,
1: I love I love me some Peter Stormare. He's great. Uh, Thomas F. Duffy as Dr. Robert Burke. The uh, the crunchy granola paleontologist that they bring along with them who reminds me a lot of my friend dylan and it's hilarious watching it now like it's like it's like uh dylan if he had a few more sandwiches it's just like he's so 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 close in personality and it cracks me up and it but it's also really upsetting when he gets eaten by the t-rex
0: so and he's so earnest I, i love that about his performance it's just like everybody else in this movie is like okay we're making a movie about dinosaurs and his performance is very much like no I'm here to tell you about dinosaurs and this also happens to be a movie based on Robert
1: T Baker, who was an American paleontologist who is, who is like kind of roughly based off of. Um, oh yeah. yeah. They, they,
0: he's uh, they list him in the first movie.
1: Yep. And they, um,
0: there's a book he's, by he's, this other guy named Backer.
1: Yep. And he comes off and he, uh, that was a good Tim impression, by the way. Um, he uh, kind of came up with the, with the theory that they, they all their behavior wasn't predatory. That some of it's like searching and scanning, like so they bring that up in this movie as well. So it makes a lot of sense that they would have a character like this, and there's like a tribute. But then again, he gets eaten by a T Rex too. <laughs> so fuck you, man. Because
0: he's scared of a snake, which is yeah. one of those like a- again, so much of this movie sings for me. You know that that first mm-hmm. two thirds, but the fact that he's afraid of an actual living reptile just didn't really track for me. Yeah, it was a little much.
1: It's a little, uh, it's a little like. Uh, too much salt on the omelet, you know what I mean? Like, just what what you doing? Like uh it, it could have just been too close. Yeah, he could have tripped, you know. Tripped, like, you know? <laughs> it didn't have to be it didn't have to be a joke. Um, I hate jokes, so I'm I am i am anti that part, no. Um and obviously the music once again done by John Williams. Uh, interestingly enough, notice this rewatching it, but like it's not he it, it doesn't go back to the greatest hits, John Williams does no such thing. He's just like, I'm going to reinvent the wheel for this movie. Um, You know, the score is not nearly as iconic as the first one, but he like strips out all the greatest hits from the original Jurassic Park and basically makes a completely new score. um, That's a lot more like driving and action themed and a lot more uh, intense, Um, less, less whimsical, more intentionally dramatic and uh, action packed. So just a really interesting choice. Interesting, really ballsy, bold choice.
0: Well, I also more, love the fact that guy. he was like, I know what I'm going to do. You said bigger, badder, more, more teeth. And they were like, yeah, John. And he was like, I'm going to bring a fucking harp. And they were like, yeah. you're going to what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I'm going to pluck like five notes on a harp. And they were like, all right, we trust you, John. And it fucking Good. works. <laughs> you're like,
1: you're crazy, man, but I love you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, Jurassic, the original Jurassic Park is obviously burned in people's brains. Um, this one, uh, a lot more concise plot, but a lot more going on at the same time. Like pretty straightforward, but um, at the same time, there's a lot more going on around it. But when you really bake it down, um, it's uh, it moves. The plot moves. And um, here we are to tell you about it now. So it's, the events take place four years after the events of the original Jurassic Park. John Hammond uh, comes in and invites Ian Malcolm to his residence to discuss the recent attack of a little girl on Isla Sorna by Kamsag. Compsognathus, help me out here doug the doug man oh sir, potato 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 yeah no, technically
0: uh, pro or oh, copies yeah. uh
1: yeah copies if you're nasty on uh isla Sorna site b if, as as it were where all the dinosaurs on isla Nubla, on isla nublar were bred um i like to picture them have you ever seen the last jedi uh behind the scenes the director of the jedi documentary where oh yeah they're airlifting the the thala sirens like those like space sea cows to the <laughs> yeah. island or like i guess the cow in the first one is a good example too but like i just like to picture them like lifting them one by one like in a helicopter like oh. yeah they're just like, the
0: legs hanging off of the yeah, side, wiggling, like weird wiggling in midair yeah <laughs> they're
1: like what the fuck is going on i'm suddenly alive and now i'm like flying through the air wiggling around um yeah, Hammond's shithead nephew, Peter Ludlow, has used the incident to seize control of InGen and plans to use the leftover di- leftover dinos to jumpstart InGen's stock prices. Hammond wants Malcolm to head into the island with a team of specialists to observe the creatures in their natural environment and reveals that Ian Malcolm's girlfriend, Sarah Harding, is already on the island. The research expedition becomes a rescue mission and Malcolm heads off to East La Sorna. That's the part that I was talking about earlier. It's like it, that 10% corny, 90, 90% cool where it's like, all right, man, the movie's really starting now. It's kicking in. The music starts pumping. Uh, Malcolm just just said something uh, like unhinged and badass, and he's out the door. And it's like, cool, man, I love it.
0: But you um, know what? You're this this part that you and I'm so glad that you write this stuff out, right? Like mm-hmm. this this summation here, because one of the crazy things about this movie to me is how well it handles what adults would do if Jurassic Park was real. So if dinosaurs were cloned and they were an actual commodity somewhere, that's exactly what would happen. Somebody at InGen would be like, all right, well, we got these assets, so I'm going to take control of this from you by exploiting this other little thing, and I'm going to go figure out how to make money with it otherwise, which is such an adult thing. So as a kid watching it, you're like, wait, what, 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 never mind, we're going to the island, so that's cool. But as an adult, (laughs) you're like, oh, shit, that's exactly what would happen.
1: It's a, it's that little kid writing in saying like, no boring stuff. Let's just get to the Island. But the boring stuff is actually handled really well in this where it's yeah, like, they just, the, the, the lawyers through it and the lawyers coming down the stairs, holding a box of holdings, you know, like just showing, not telling, but also telling, you know? Um, but like I said, that, like, that like rat-a-tat between the two of them sets it up so well. And it's like, there's a lot more going on here. And I love Hammond's little binders. Um, and how like precocious, yeah. and, and precocious and like plucky he is still, where he's just like, and I was hoping it could be you, and like hands it to him and like hands in the binder, of, like, and when he when he takes his fingers off,
0: yeah, he's like oh, one, two, three, four, yeah,
1: like I've got my four. Good little, uh good little audience laugh part there, I'm sure. Like I, you know, everyone's just like, oh ho ho, we're at the movies, this is great. Um, so yeah, arriving on the island with the guy from the West Wing and the dude from Swingers, Malcolm finds Sarah documenting her herd of Stegosaurus. She tells him, is it Stegosauri? Anyway. Uh, I she- think
0: it would still be Stegosaurus. I don't know for uh- sure.
1: She tells him that she's staying no matter what. And they trade quips and barbs that conveniently let the audience in on the nature of their relationship. Uh, upon returning to their home base, they discover that Malcolm's daughter, Kelly has stowed away and also really sucks at making eggs.
0: Yeah. She, uh, she like she, started a full on fire.
1: How do, you bur- how do you, how do you burn uh, eggs to the point that there's a fire? We're really ragged on this, on this uh, child actor. And I feel, I feel bad, but well, that um, part
0: actually, she really kills it in that part when she's like, I wanted it ready. When you guys got back that like, yeah, KG yeah, kid aspect of it of just like, uh, oh, sorry, I was trying. Oops.
1: <laughs> oops burn oops started a fire with eggs. Um <laughs> somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I I really do like uh Malcolm and Harding's relationship a lot too. Um I don't remember what the name of their principal is. He's like, yeah uh ah, 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 if you if you observe something, maybe you do change it like that back and forth. Oh, the
0: Heisenberg them. uncertainty principle. Oh,
1: dang, there you go uh do you want to just host this podcast doug
0: no 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 that's why you brought me (laughs) out for this particular movie yeah uh, even though there's parts of it i hate it's pretty much all committed to memory
1: (laughs) you're the doctor you're my dr robert burke for this uh this expedition happy to Um, be so go for it uh
0: hold on a second Control Just then, F8. the Weasley Ludlow and the InGen Super Elite Commando Division arrive on the island in search of dinosaur specimens to bring back to San Diego to populate a dino zoo. The original idea for Jurassic Park before Hammond decided an island off the coast of Costa Rica would be a much more affordable for patrons. The park looked lame anyway, and I'm glad that we're talking about this because what are you going to do with what is essentially an amphitheater? are you going to like haul one dinosaur out? Like it's a fucking ringling brother circus. You yeah. Know, even when they I, I don't get to understand, it, later on, it doesn't make any sense.
1: I don't, I, I don't get it. I don't know what the plan was. I'm not sure what was even going on. They're like, Ooh, look at this one dinosaur. Isn't this cool? Is it like, um, in Batman forever like the flying Graysons part where it's like the tiny, like a circ, like that circus environment. Like you're that, talking that's about. That's what I'm saying. That it, really is weird. Like, what are you doing? Is a, like a Brachiosaurus going to roll out on a ball. And they're gonna like whip, whip it as it comes out. Um, but yeah, this thing, I just don't, I don't, I think that the park. I mean, technically, it was a better idea. So,
0: yes, absolutely. Like, well, that's the reason we're all here because that park, like an, an island far away, you can still envision that existing in your brain right now. But if right. it were a zoo that you could go to on terrestrial United States land, that's nowhere near as magical, you know. Boring. It's, it's, it's weird. Anyway. The InGen team rounds up all the manner of creatures and locks them away. Sarah and Nick free the dinosaurs from their cages, and they destroy the InGen camp. Returning back to their RV, we discover that Nick saved a baby T-Rex during the fracas, and it needs medical attention. As they're setting up baby Rex's leg, both mommy and daddy T-Rex arrive to get their child back rolling the rv off the cliff in one of the sickest and most spielbergian action scenes in not only this film but any of his films and richard Schiff, unfortunately attempts to rescue them before being ripped in half by the raging t-rex duo
1: we got to talk about the, the rv scene um cuz it's so it's so masterful and it's so awesome and i was really paying attention to it this time cuz i you know you you remember the beats of it like the like the like the overall beats where it's just like they ram it it goes over the edge. She falls on the glass. But the part that I was like, you son of a bitch, you did it again, is um, when they the dinosaur is on, or the T-Rex is on the opposite side of Malcolm at first, right? You think he's going towards it, but it's actually, oh. beh- it's it's revealed behind his head. And so the audience kind of sees it first, right? And then they all turn around, like, oh, there it is. And then they then, then they turn around and the second one enters, and you're like, Oh my god, there's two of them. This is the best thing ever. Um, just those little beats like that, like you can see the storyboard, you know, you can kind of see the 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 gears spinning in Spielberg's head. We're like, Oh, we'll have another one. Well, he'll be going towards it, but the reveal is actually behind him. And then when it when it goes over the cliff and uh, Julianne Moore slams into the glass that part is again so white knuckle even to this day knowing what happens with the glass it's a nail splinter- bite splintering but not only that but the little you can see her breath on the glass oh. and she's breathing so erratically and heavily that you your your heart starts to beat like hers you know
0: um and uh oh just and been, like, Vince Vaughn's respl- selling it when he's yeah. climbing down in his section all of the RV something. trying to grab the phone. Yeah. Oh, and man. he's...
1: You know, giving I'm not you sure all Vin- those noises. I'm not sure Vince Vaughn has ever been better than in that scene when he, when he's just like, hold on to something. And then uh, it does that Spielberg zoom on the, uh, Malcolm's face, and he's like, hold on to something. It's like, it's just, it's again, movie magic. It's so, so well done. Um, and then, you know, having... Uh, Richard Schiff struggle with the T-Rexes on the outside of it and then they come back and oh man it's just it's just it's so so
0: fucking awesome it's so good well I actually wanted to talk about the what sets that whole scene up like what gets your heart stopped before your start's gonna start like before your start your heart starts pumping ceaselessly for like the next 15 minutes is when they take Kelly into the high hide because she wants to get out of there right she, she's afraid right? and they're up there with Richard Schiff And, you know, Malcolm is selling you, you know, um, everything is going to be fine. You're up here. You're safe. You know, the dinosaurs are out there. Uh, This is the safest place on the island. They can't get you. And then you hear that Tyrannosaurus Rex sound from far away. And then it's just that shot of Richard Schiff's face as he turns because he doesn't know what that sound is. You know, so he's your audience analogous member right then in that moment. And that sound alone, you're like, "Uh oh, it's coming. Ugh.
1: and then but and also uh before that where they just opening the door like when they open the door and the, the look on their faces it, it pure horror of staring this thing in the face and handing the baby back and then you know face to face with it and you don't know what's going to happen you don't know they're all unpredictable chaos theory as it as it were and then uh as soon as julianne moore drops it off the look on her face is that pure like i know adrenaline hit of like oh my god we did it oh my god we gotta close this door right now um and then as an audience member you're like oh, okay it just wanted its baby back and then like, Malcolm, welcome welcome they don't show it but malcolm just goes this is gonna be bad and then the whole thing just starts flipping around it's so good it's so yeah, so good it, well I, and I she just gives you that, that nice scene. like
0: she gives you that nice breathe moment where she's like, and I think the debate about a Tyrannosaurus parental instincts yeah. is now academic. And the audience gets to laugh for a second. and We're all like, ha, 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 they're, out, they're out of this one. Yeah they, yeah, they made it out of here. And then boom,
1: um, man, that scene rules. It's I could just watch that on repeat uh, over and over again.
0: Uh, oh, it's it's it so, so, so well done. Magic.
1: All right. And then at that point, after Richard Schiff is torn in half, they're all saved by Ludlow and his team who uh, decided at this moment to all band together as one uh, expedition to journey to, the, journey to the center of their island to find communication equipment so they can all be rescued. Uh, uh, as you can imagine, this turns out to be a very bad idea. And the group is picked off one by one by, let's see, let's do the list. Compies, the returning T-Rex family. And then eventually, a group of raptors that snipes the crew in the middle of a large open field. Uh, that part I completely forgot about watching this time, and I was like, "Oh yeah, the scene rules." Oh, you Where mean don't go into the
0: long grass? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Not
1: the um, long grass. They were like, I, "You think they're just talking about that Stephen King novel in the long grass?" But it's <laughs> uh, it's something else completely. Um, but just the little markers of their tails shooting up in the air is like, it's just you can see the ideas spinning, you know what I mean? It's like, Oh, how are we going to re- represent this? I, I don't know. I just love little creative touches like that, where it's like, we don't want to show the whole thing to make them scarier, but we want you to know what it is and how this is going down. And that's just such a perfect way. That's that screech. And then the tail shooting up, like got one, like they're like little, little, uh, uh, Minecraft green flags, like got yeah, one over like here, uh, got one
0: over here. got one they're over like here. Ice fishing tip up flags,
1: you know, just totally. like,
0: boink, we got one
1: <laughs> totally. Um, and, you know, I don't want to brush over everything that happens before this, but I think we've already touched on how just, like, great that trail scene is beforehand
0: where, you know, all hell breaks loose. The one um, thing I did want to touch on, though, was Roland Tenbo. So I feel like I have to justify why I love that character so much. Oh, yeah. Go for it. So when when they're being saved, right, when they're being pulled up from the RV, who is the one who's got his hand out saving these people? It's Roland. And all the other times that you've interacted with this character on screen, he's... He's funny, he's charming, but he's also ruthless in his pursuits, right? He's very much like Quint in Jaws, um, you know, where he's like, cancel that order. And, and when when they're going to set up camp, when the engine team is going to set up camp, and he's like, what? Yeah, do, do you want do you, do you a camp or like, a buffet? I've been on too many safaris with rich dentists to learn any more suicidal ideas. Okay. And it's just, he's no fucking uh-huh. nonsense. He's your, like, Muldoon stand-in, but he's an inversion of him. But he also fiercely loves human life later on he says you know i believe i've spent enough time in the company of death and as he pulls those people up like he he wants to save everybody there but he also wants to kill a t-rex which is why we immediately see him as a villain right like his his um his fee is going to be the chance to hunt a buck you know a t-rex a buck only and in in a scene coming up here like right about the time we're talking about the movie when he's talking with nick van owen he's like so the only way you can express yourself is to kill it and he's like you remember that chap went up on everest without oxygen a few years ago when he came down they asked him why did you go up there to die and he said he didn't i went up there to live and then he just walks off yeah
1: so rocking yeah he's he is the unsung hero of this film he's just amazing he's Um, fucking rad all of his line readings are just like so spot on and, and just killer um and uh, I, I do love. I I got I got the chills when he walked away after saying that line. It's it's just so, so those little moments that you kind of glance over as a kid, where it's like, oh yeah, man, that, that's the good stuff right there. So, um, yeah, good old good old good old Roland Tenbo. Well, especially uh, like
0: if you're going to look at Pete Postlewaite at about this time, is and if you're looking at it from the lens of a kid, my only other like analogous representation of him on screen, you know. Uh, my limited representation was in Romeo and Juliet, the Leonardo DiCaprio one where, you know, he's off doing his crazy Shakespeare Shakespearean stuff and he's doing great. Or in Dragonheart, where he is the exact antithesis <laughs> of this character. You know, he's Whoa. just like spewing lines of poetry and he's just in awe of the fact that there's a dragon hunter still around and he's kind of nothing where this guy barely actually does anything in the whole movie, but every sentence he utters makes you believe that he is the most capable motherfucker on the planet ah love him
1: uh he is a man of few words but his words carry a ton of meaning so um i'm all about him in the movie the town but that's another story oh my Um, god i forgot about that (laughs) um yes where oh shoot where, where are we um Okay, yeah, so... You're right after the Raptors. Oh, yeah, large show, yeah. Malcolm, Malcolm, Sarah, Kelly, and Nick, conveniently the main characters of the movie, make it to the InGen base and radio for help after fleeing and fighting off a pack of raptors using Kelly's amazing gymnastic skills. You were cut from the team? Really? <laughs> uh, like, a, a laugh line that's like, what? Like, uh, like, like, we're supposed to just assume that that fact that she just did a bunch of spins around and kicked the raptor out of the place was like, totally an okay plot point. But, um, anyways, I digress. But I, I do love that line, though. You recruit from the team? Classic, classic uh, Gold Bloom payoff. Um, yeah, as they're being helicoptered off the island, they notice that the male T Rex has been sedated and more engine operatives are arriving to transport it off the island. Back on the mainland, Malcolm and Harding's. Back on the mainland, Malcolm and Harding attempt to stop Ludlow from opening Jurassic Park San Diego, uh, the shitty little amphitheater version of Jurassic Park. But before they could do this, the freighter house and the T-Rex crashes into the docks. The entire crew is dead somehow, and the T-Rex escapes to wreak havoc on downtown San Diego. I have a question for you. Uh, yeah, there, I'm is, glad you brought this up. Is is uh, First of all, I'm glad you brought up the scene with uh, Van Owen and Tenbo because I was like, I'm trying to keep this plot description lean but it's also a very important scene but it like it, it's a i just couldn't find a way to work it in but that's that's a really amazing scene so i didn't want to glance over that but is the implication that the t-rex ate everyone on there or was there like raptors swarming the place too and ate them as well
0: well that's the thing the the implication is very clear that the t-rex somehow killed everybody which How insinuates that, that it somehow got into the cab of the boat <laughs> it was like squeezing through <laughs> it, it, <laughs> like just like artfully used its little arm to drag people toward it
1: yeah just like shoving its head through like squeezing his head through hallways like a kid that's getting his head stuck between like getting his head stuck under the bed or something like that like, um, that, like i always that, that wonder doesn't that make
0: any damn sense not only that but there's a scene and I, again being an adult and having worked in like a, a production space uh around a lot of stainless steel and stainless steel manufacturing i can believe this But I don't want to believe it, especially if you're dealing with the largest predatory animal that's ever lived uh, and is back on the planet now. They're still welding the holding pen for the adult Rex when you see the boat approaching the dock. (laughs) Yeah, what's going on with that? (laughs) (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me?
1: (laughs) Maybe they needed an extra five minutes of the ship going like full speed. They weren't counting on like the T Rex little claw accidentally hitting the accelerator and blasting <laughs> into the dock, so they what were like almost happened? done. We give us five more minutes, but then the ship crashes in. But yeah, I was always like, well, "Why is everybody dead on I'm this? I'm, like, I'm there. Like, I guess it's I guess it's the convenient way to get the ship to crash into the dock." But I also, when I was younger, I was like, I, "Oh, I guess like maybe there are Raptors, and then the T Rex ate the Raptors." like in the first movie or something also it doesn't really matter that much i just was
0: wondering
1: (laughs) well i mean if you're going off
0: the book in for the first in the first book there is definitely the boat that is heading back to the mainland that has raptors and presumably compies and maybe a few other animals on there so it stands to reason that you know for sure a raptor or two could have gotten on there but the movie clearly draws that it's just the adult rex itself
1: and there was no no explain i was like looking it up to see if there's any like theories etc there's like nothing so i was just like guess we're left with to our own devices on this one but yeah it's just a crazy crazy like uh
0: uh jump to make but anyway harding and malcolm drive a cherry red corvette convertible <laughs> to snag the t-rex's infant from the zoo exhibit and lure the rampaging beast back to the docks they drop the infant off on the boat and Ludlow follows, foolishly trying to retrieve the animal. The adult T-Rex knocks him over and breaks his leg and gives its offspring its first hunting lesson as it mauls Ludlow to death. Ma, so sweet. <laughs> the freighter ships is, it the T-Rex it, and the baby back to Isla Sorna as Malcolm and Harding watch a press conference of John Hammond declaring Site B a natural preserve. The music swells and the credits roll. Um...
1: I do love, it is a really satisfying death that you you know that they did that extra beat to have the T-Rex's little baby uh, get the kill. Um, It's a really fun little choice, I think. Um, I also love in that scene how the T-Rex kind of peeks his head down and you see it approaching down the ramp. Um, Just That's a really vivid image to me. but I, I had to <laughs> I just added the music swells in the credits roll because the movie kind of ends really unceremoniously with John Hammond like just being like, Oh, by the way, this is a nature preserve now. The end. And uh but um I don't know. I thought the music swells in the credits roll it was a funny way to end it. So
0: my one of my major issues with this movie, and always has been since the first time I saw it, and I remember seeing it for the first time at the Twin Pines Theater in Houghton Lake. Whoa. And if you've never been to that theater, that's a wild experience. They like hide surround sound speakers and taxidermied animals. It's weird, man. I. They only do. Uh, Doug, I've
1: Doug, I've been there. You've been know there, exactly, You know what I'm talking I, about. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's it's very Upper Michigan. It's so wild.
0: <laughs> it's so wild. And that was I the full, opening weekend there.
1: Yeah, if you ever want to get the full Michigan, full Michigan experience, go to that theater for sure.
0: Yeah, you'll be very close to a Walmart. You can get everything you need there. <laughs> <laughs> but the the end of this movie has that amazing sequence, which is the closest that we get in this movie to the sequence that you talked about so well in your first podcast about the first movie, where right after the Brachiosaurus is revealed, you see that amazing lagoon shot of all the animals on the island, and they use that heat mirage to like hide the CG so that you yeah. can't really tell. It's, it's fucking it's genius. It's, great, it's so man. good. And in this movie, we get that scene where you actually see the animals in their natural habitat, all existing harmoniously. And the, the Rexes are together as a family. And all the dinosaurs are walking down the game trail. And then you get that pterosaur coming and landing. And you just get it screeching into the sky. And it, I don't know a single kid who didn't see the end of that movie and was like, why wasn't that the movie? <laughs> Exactly. Why didn't we watch a movie about people <laughs> accidentally landing on the island and seeing that? And, and yeah, pulling
1: a brush, pulling a, a bush back and, and seeing them all undisturbed, but then they disturb them and then all hell breaks loose.
0: And then you get the, that. The,
1: because the setup is so clear where they're like, huh? A different island. That's almost the same, but with no fences. And you're like, all right, I get it. <laughs> like, I get that. That's the, the setup for this one. Like, you thought they were dangerous when there were fences. We're going to take those fences away. And then that's the movie, right? It didn't need all this other stuff. Um, and not that it's bad, because we're talking about how some of these sequences are amazing. But you're absolutely right. You see that end and you're like, oh, but now I want more. Yeah. <laughs> but like, why could we have had that? Yeah, exactly. Because um, that scene is so beautifully rendered, too. It looks so great, the T-Rex, especially. It's also a huge flex on their part because it's bright daylight and there's no rain.
0: No rain. So they're
1: like they're like, check this shit out. Look what we can do now. Um, but yeah, it looks beautiful, and I guess it is a really, it is like a peaceful, serene ending that gives you some empathy for the the animals that just ate half of the main characters, um, and it's just like they're just doing their thing, you know, they're just doing what they were on this earth to do um but yeah it is a little it just kind of ends on a just a little uh, it, it ends on a whisper whereas the first one i feel like ended on a on a exhale so um yeah i don't know is there anything else that uh anything else that stands out to you about the lost world dressing part that we haven't touched on
0: i mean if you're if you're watching the movie And especially if you were somebody who did not like the movie and are are now, you know, inspired to go back and watch it again. Or maybe you watched it again before this and still don't like it. I would say just watch the parts. It's one of my favorite movies to toss on because I can watch that first two-thirds of the movie before they take the wrecks off the island and be in and out in like an hour 45. like Totally. Like an hour 40. Boom. I'm done. And I feel like that's one of the things I dislike ironically about the third movie in that it is such a short runtime compared to the other films in the franchise i'm like come on you don't have more of a story to tell me about people encountering uh, bioengineered dinosaurs like come on you, you gotta have more there but yeah, that's not, what's you're... so cool about this movie is that because it piggybacks directly on the story of the first you're able to put together some of the pieces that they just glance over really quickly before they get to the island. And it feels like a fully satisfying experience. You know, I I wish that that last third had been different or had been omitted or that they had workshopped it a few more times. But up until that point, there's a lot to love here. Oh yeah. You can peel back the veil of like when you're not missing Ellie Sattler and when you're not missing Alan Grant, which if you want those characters, great. They wrapped them up into Sarah Harding for you. And, I hope so desperately that if I go see Jurassic World Dominion that Goldblum is like, yeah, let me just call my wife and it's Sarah Harding. Like that would that would just make my day because she is wonderful. Or, you know, let's talk about Nick Van Owen and he's an incredible character. Or you could talk about Pete Postlewaite or you could talk about the actual legacy left by John Hammond and not some other weird guy that apparently had dealings with him before they opened the island but then didn't. And he wasn't involved in the InGen takeover. Spoiler
1: alert for the Fallen Kingdom podcast. That's the part that made me walk out of the movie. <laughs> like, uh, okay, I was like, there was but, another guy. There was another guy that was just there, like also with there an amber cane. I don't think so. Like, I don't think there. Like, I think we would have heard about that guy as there was only like five guys to start with. You know, I think that's the Lost World Jurassic Park. I feel I feel pretty good about the conversation. We felt good about that conversation, but let's see how good you feel after we face the trials. <laughs> Let the trials commence. So, Doug, we're putting you through a dinosaur spelling bee. And your task, I'm going to give you four species of dinosaur. We're going to have you try to spell them sight unseen and see exactly how well you do. The first two that I put in were not dinosaurs.
0: So <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's completely Well, unfair. were they
0: pterosaurs? That's a hot point of contention for me. Pterosaurs uh, technically not a dinosaur.
1: Okay, here's your first. Uh, your first dinosaur is Theophytalia. I'm using a, a pronunciation dictionary because I was like, it would be so incredibly unfair for me to uh, just butcher a dinosaur's name and be like, go ahead, spell it. <laughs> With like no zero clues. So Theophytalia is the, is the dinosaur.
0: Can you use it in a
1: sentence? Holy shit, there's a Theophytalia.
0: T-H-E-O-P-H-Y-T-A-L-I-A. Oh my
1: god, you were so so close. T-H-E-I-O. Ah! T-H-Y-T-A-I-L-I-A. So very, very close. So we're gonna say we're gonna say three species of dinosaur and not four. Cause I apparently fucked up and made a list of mostly non-dinosaurs. For the- <laughs> are there ever gonna be any dinosaurs in your dinosaur spelling bee? The next one, Doug, is Huey Oh, you son of a bitch. Uh, say it one more time. Let me hear it pronounced one more time. Huey Klanelthuis.
0: H-U-E-Y-K-A-N-L apostrophe. T-H-E-W-I-S. Huey David Thewlis.
1: Huey Dewey Lewicus. No, I'm afraid. I'm afraid not. Sorry, I would be a bad spelling bee judge because I would just be like, "What the fuck?" Um, it, uh, it was a valiant effort, but it's H U E H U E C A N A U H T L U S. Wow! <laughs> uh, wow! So not not but, only
0: one I didn't know how to spell, but I am totally unfamiliar with that particular species. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to laugh at you. <laughs> <it was> just, <laughs> no, no, that's my whole such... point of this thing. I think I did an all right job with David Thulis's dinosaur. Hi, I'm David Thulis. Okay, and the
1: final one, because my list is not complete and is mostly primates, is Epidexipteryx
0: O e p e d e x i c e p t e r u you, s.
1: You spelled that like a cat walking over a keyboard. Uh
0: <laughs> i'm sure i didn't do it right
1: that was all vowels i think uh e-p-i-d-e-x-i-p-t-e-r-y-x yeah, i was uh, way off you were you're were over three on the dinosaur spelling bee but you know what you're only human doug it's
0: well fine. i'm glad you didn't hit me because I, I thought i thought for sure you were going to give me archaeopteryx i always <laughs> know that one in the top of my brain but the moment you said that this was going to happen i was like i have no idea how to spell it anymore
1: <laughs> um shout out to my friend dustin chrysatovich uh with uh, our completely asinine inside joke of saying
0: archaeopteryx
1: and then <laughs> that's literally all it is so a little inside joke for someone that might not even listen to the podcast so that's what you all came here for i'm sure but yeah anyway something has survived and it's you to the end of this podcast so how about that for another segue? Thank you for uh, talking the Lost World Jurassic Park with me, Doug. It was a pleasure, as always. Man, this was um, an
0: absolute blast. I uh, Unfortunately, I don't know of a single other thing that I could talk about that I'm this divisive about where I'm like, I love everything about it except for these very specific things. Make sure to
1: check out My Dad, I'm Dad on any podcast network that you so choose. If you want to follow us on Instagram, that's at B1N1Pod on Instagram. Make sure to uh, subscribe rate and review us and follow us, I guess on Apple podcast. Now that's a thing. Make sure to leave us a review. It really helps us out in the standings and helps more people find the show. Then also make sure you go to Spotify and ring the bell, rate us five stars on there. Thank you to everyone that's done that so far. I really appreciate it. Thanks to Christian Cramo for our theme song. We'll see you next week when we're covering the Joe Johnson classic question mark Jurassic park three uh, with Ren from Stitchcraft and uh have a Jurassic day <laughs> 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 that's all I got uh, bye Roland was a warrior from the land of the midnight sun a Thompson
0: gun for hire fighting to be done the deal was made in Denmark On a dark and stormy
1: day So he set out for Biafra To join the bloody fray Through 66
0: and 7 They fought the Congo war With their fingers on their triggers Knee deep in gore for days and nights they battled band too, to their knees they kill to earn their living and to help out the Congolese